Ciao. You, my dear Edmundo, would know better than I do. There are certain places which you frequent, and I don't. Then, Professor, you could also be the killer. I? You're the killer. You're the killer. <laughs> <laughs> Besides, Edmundo owes us an invitation for the success of his refrigerators at the exposition. <laughs> what a birthday you're having. Between your broken head and that horrible shirt you're wearing. Conclusions, intuitions, when I need a realities. I'm tired of you. Go back to your stupid husband. I'm tired of it all. You're not worth a damn. Go ahead, go ahead. Go help her. That I plan to do. What do you want? about Giallo movies just for you. The only thing I'd like, I'd really like, is to meet you face to face. It'll happen sooner or later, but you'll have to recognize us. Thanks. However you disappoint me, duck. You throw a challenge my way. I almost forgot the most important part. We go by Creep Creeperson and Chris. And this is Giallo Chow Chow. Got it. The harbor, a phone booth sitting right near Pier 11. I'll get out the APB. Move, you bastard. Chow Chow, everybody. And welcome to Jalo Chow Chow, episode number 56, where we are going to be going over nasty nachos. <laughs> Dude, those oh. do not look nasty at all. They look absolutely oh, delicious. Yeah, it, I meant I meant nashy. Those not those nachos look fantastic. They're from the ice cream truck. I wish that we had smell vision. <laughs> so I'm going to try not to smack my lips while we're going over some nasty nachos. I mean, nashy. <laughs> and um, I'm Creep, author of the Shallow Jallow books. And that's Chris, owner and proprietor and carekeeper of Jallow Score. Dot com, the only Jalo website to score Jalo movies based on Chris's very hard scale. <laughs> very scientific and arbitrary scale. <laughs> Thank you very much, Craig, for that fantastic introduction. I want to start right off the bat by talking about something I've been thinking about for a while. Uh-oh. Uh, I haven't yet heard anyone say chow chow in common dialogue i've heard them i've heard people say chow and then the other person says chow and i know that um our little sound effect at the beginning of the podcast is two people saying it quickly you know one one over the other but we say you say chow chow and i say chow chow and i wonder if people who normally say chow as part of their vernacular think we're that we sound dumb no, it's just like saying hi, hi. 
<laughs> or you could yo, say yo, everybody. You could say hey, 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 but that would be Dwayne from What's Happening. And I'm yeah, really I'm old. Be. Chow, chow, chow. I'm really Boom. old. <laughs> yeah. So now that you just drug us into grammar hell with our chow chow. I don't know how that happened. I think it was like a... Oh, you know what it was? Okay, this is so fucked up. But I think <laughs> there was like a joke. Who was it? I was talking to somebody and I'm like, oh, I can't wait to go to Italy and I'm going to get a little scooter and I'm going to scoot around Rome and go like, beep, beep, chow, chow, everybody, chow, chow. Chow, chow. And that was just like... <laughs> That was just like the how I picture Italian guys on little scooters going around <laughs> Italy talking to girls do it. Ciao ciao. Beep, beep. Like <laughs> but, yeah. So, yeah, that's where it all came from. Can laughter. There that's funny. Well, um to stay on that topic of, of vernacular, um and to be Serious for just a moment. It has come to my attention um, that maybe, possibly, more than once on this podcast, you, and, or me, and possibly you, have referred to um, some of the characters who dress in drag uh, by the um, name or the by the derogatory term tranny. Um, I was not necessarily aware that this was considered. Um, an offensive word. So I wanted to um, quickly and and very importantly say to all of our listeners that if anyone um, has uh, any offense um, attributed to us using that word, I apologize. Uh, again, it wasn't something I was aware of being a bad word, but I guess it's kind of um, the equivalent of the F word for homosexual people and i know that we talk about uh there's a lot of people in jalo um that dress that men who dress as women i know there's you know there's a scene in bird where they say bring in the the perverts and then the one guy says well this person doesn't belong with the perverts he belongs with the transsexuals um or the transvestites i'm sorry um so uh yeah i just wanted to, to bring that to everybody's attention so i'm I, I do apologize i don't even remember um, if I did use the word, because I think it's a word that I probably just throw out there uh, without thinking about it, but I will do my best to um, be a little bit more conscientious and compassionate for people who personally, may be offended by that. Personally, the way I look at it is if um, people who use that word normally, they're usually using it because that's what they type in on YouPorn when they're looking for videos to watch. And... I don't see anything wrong with that. Right. <laughs> but um, <laughs> that, that, that is your, um, your benchmark for whether a, a, a word is offensive or not, whether it, it, it reveals looking, uh, search results in you porn. Well, yeah. Cause if you're looking up gay porn, you're not going to type in the F word, you know, but if you're looking up other kind, you could, type that word in and you'll find stuff. Come on. Am I the only person who knows how to use a search engine around here? <laughs> on a website? Well, no, and, and I, 
I certainly don't want to give the impression that we are trying to be politically correct because we certainly aren't. Um, but I just wanted to bring that up because um, it was brought to my attention and I thought it was important to talk about um, real quick. I agree. And I want to just like say a couple other things about it. Um, I do apologize if we have offended any of our listeners. Um, but honestly, there are very few things I love more than trannies. So coming from me, it's coming from love. Coming from Argento, it's coming from love. <laughs> so with that said, I will not use that word. And I will actually try to use the correct term per film, per character that that happens to. Because I know I like to throw a lot of, because my brain goes faster than my mouth and I throw out stupid nicknames for people. Oh, yeah. And, um, and, and most of them so, are absolutely brilliant. Um, I think, what was the one? Um, I think my favorite one was Mr. Um, no Whites Before Labor Day. We were talking yeah, about... White pants, white pants Before Labor Day. Yeah. <laughs> I think that was the guy from um, Who Saw Her Die, I think, if I can remember correctly. But. Or was it House of the Laughing Windows? I don't remember. It was one of those. Yeah. Well, anyhow. Um, but yeah, so if it's a transvestite, we'll say transvestite. If it's a transsexual, we'll say transsexual. If it's a post-op, transgendered, transsexual, we'll say that. I don't think we would know if it would be a post-op as far as the movies are concerned. Unless, unless it says. Yeah. You know? I've seen Ace Ventura Pet Detective. I know what's what. What about how, what, where would where would Sleepaway Camp fall into that category? Mm, I think that's transgender. That would be transgender, but I don't think that's transgender by choice. Right, so that's right, right. Weirder. Right, right. So, I mean, not by choice, but it's like that was forced upon the child. So I don't know. Right. How that works out. I feel but, like somehow I feel like we're making it worse by continuing to talk. <laughs> what you watch Modern Family or something? <laughs> uh, Everybody on that show, the more they talk, the worse it gets. And they really? just keep talking. Yeah. <laughs> so, and they always say, I should stop talking now. But oh, okay. <laughs> Sleepaway Camp is transgender, but the Buffalo Bill variety. That's what Jason said. Okay. So if you guys want to. Um, chat with us while we're doing this use the q a app on the google hangouts feed and now i think we should just dive headfirst into the rest of the announcements it's the news with your host well never mind um, stormy we, weather we, we've got our uh storm field that was a guy in new york i think his name was i don't know why they named him that but storm field was his name um clearly not his birth name we have a lot of announcements i'm going to try to run through them very quickly uh first and foremost um this show is now uh on twitter i got really bored one day and said hey why don't we have a twitter feed so um just to, you know, we have people that don't do Facebook that are into our podcast. I've heard from a couple of them who have thanked me for putting our stuff out on Twitter. So it is uh, twitter.com slash jalo chow chow without the exclamation points. Um, 
So keep an eye on that. I mean, you probably, if you're if you're a Facebook group person, you you're not likely to see anything different on the Twitter feed. Um, but I will be posting um, the link for the live hangout as well as the link for the podcast once it's published to the Twitter feed as well as everywhere else. Uh, so that's that. More importantly than that, we need to talk about this amazing Jallo deck of cards that is being put out by cultzilla.co.uk. It's called the Jallo deck. If you go to cultzilla.co.uk slash Jallo deck, and I'll put a link on the um, Facebook group page uh, after we're done recording. Um, they are designing a deck of playing cards where they're using characters, screenshots, movie posters from all of our favorite films. Um, oh, shut up. The Jalo-themed playing cards will be um, all for charity. So there's like a Barbara Boucher card. She's the Queen of Hearts, according to this. There is a um, Edwidge card. Um, there is a, um, a video uh, on cultzilla.co.uk that shows what all the cards are going to look like. Um, supposedly, I think we're looking at a May release uh april may release oh no wait um so they, they have a pre-order that will be open until the 24th of april um the decks will be sent sent out in the beginning of may all proceeds are going to autism two different autism um charities so it's 100 uh, percent donating to the profits so um because this is such a cool idea as well as a good cause i purchased I think four of these uh, decks and I'm going to keep one for myself and we're going to give away three on the podcast. And not only are we giving them away on the podcast, but once I broadcasted the fact that we're giving them away uh, on our Twitter feed, the Cultzilla folks have agreed to give us a Jalo uh, coffee mug that they also designed to give away as well as the, uh, the deck of cards. So um, if you're not a regular listener to our podcast, now is the time uh, because in a few episodes we will be giving these things away. I'm very excited about them. Um, and it should be fun. I'm not exactly sure how we're going to determine who gets them. Um, I don't know if it's just going to be totally random, you know, pull a, pull a name out of a hat or whether you have to do something to earn them. We'll, we'll have to figure that out. So that's the Jello deck of cards. Uh, also wanted to give a shout out to uh, Baron Martino, who runs a YouTube channel called The Jello Room. They're up to, I think, episode number seven. It's really cool. Um, it's a figure who is dressed to look very similar to the killer in Blood and Black Lace, uh, who um, comes in and to a, a, a basically a room uh, that is tinted yellow and talks about Jalo, talks about Jalo films, Jalo releases, what's coming out on Blu-ray. Um, and I needed to, uh, I had been meaning to plug uh, this, uh, this YouTube um, channel for a while, but his recent episode, he gave the jalloscore.com a very nice plug. So uh, it was more important than ever that I mentioned 
um, the Jalo Room. So I think the Jalo Room on YouTube will get you there. You could also look it up on Facebook. He has a corresponding Facebook page. Um, he posts uh, in our group. So if you're in our group, you've seen it. And uh, lastly, I just wanted to mention a couple of things on jalloscore.com. Um, there was some discussion about some more changes or some more suggestions to the criteria. And I wanted to throw a couple out there for discussion. So the first one is pretty obvious. We talked about there is a, um, a one point criteria that says that the film has the word death in the title or it has a number in the title or it has the name of an animal in the title. Um, there was a suggestion that a the any any sort of color that's mentioned in the title be also added to this um and possibly the word color like all the colors of the dark or blue eyes of the broken doll um and of course we can't forget seven deaths in a cat's eye if it was seven death deaths in a red cat's eye it would be insane um so I haven't implemented that yet, but I'm throwing it out there for discussion. The other one, which I think is a little bit more interesting, is the idea of dummies. There is a criteria that says dolls or dummies are used in the film. Uh, we were talking about, uh, there was some discussion on the, on the, um, the board or the Facebook page about um, if a dummy is used as a prop for someone falling, whether or not that should count as dummies being used and i think that one's up for debate because really dolls or dummies being used in a thematic way is different than a prop wouldn't you say i do say i think that is not the same right so the question is if there are if there's no other reference or no other indication visually in the film of a doll or a dummy but we have a scene where somebody gets thrown out of a window or off of a roller coaster uh as in our upcoming feature and it's clear that they used a dummy would that uh be a check mark or would that not be a check mark i'm saying no but it's certainly up for discussion i say no Okay. But I'm an asshole, so. <laughs> an, an asshole with nachos. I'm so glad that you. I'm eating my Paul Nashies shows. <laughs> <laughs> All right, but I think that the color thing, we should go and go. I should go the ahead and do that. pretty cool, yeah. Because there's a lot of those. And I remember the very first episode that I was on the podcast, we talked about the... Um, the the website called the do-it-yourself jalo generator and um if you go there uh you i'm sure that it uses uh colors uh in its formula for generating um the uh the the, the fake title so um I'm gonna look it up so what's going on with you creep well um this weekend this past weekend, besides being WrestleMania, which we won't talk about because it was just seven hours of pure enjoyment, <laughs> um, this Sunday was also the 
Um, vintage paperback collector show and sale. And this was a lot of fun. Um, it was like going into a room with paperbacks and um, pulp magazines from like the last hundred years or more. Wow. It was just the place smelt like mildewy paper. It was awesome. And, um, but <clears throat> the lack of credit card transactions was troubling to me. Um, oh, I think the, <laughs> real quick, just to answer Jason's question here, um, he asks, what do I think of the divas losing their diva name? I think it's one of the most amazing things that has happened in the last however many years. As soon as they started calling themselves the divas they took a step back like 40 years into the past and um since they're such a forward-thinking company i'm glad they finally um came back and have the woman's toddle wait is this a, ref <clears throat> a wrestling thing again yeah the divas championship was the woman's championship oh okay. like they, they had the women's championship for years and years and years and then I can't remember how long ago it was. They changed it to the Divas Championship, and the belt was a butterfly. It was so like just horrible. And um, but they changed it back, so I'm glad. See, so I anyway, used, I used to watch Glow, the glamorous ladies of oh, wrestling. Yeah. <laughs> Fucking Mount Fuji. I don't remember anybody from it, but what was that? Was uh, Matilda the Hun. <laughs> <laughs> Do you remember that episode of Married with Children where Al yes. had to wrestle uh, Matilda the Hun? I think I do awesome. remember that. Okay, so anyway. Uh, <laughs> the paperback show was really cool. I um, found a bunch of fucking awesome first edition paperbacks that were like less than a dollar a piece, which was crazy because a lot of the stuff I was looking at was upward in between like <clears throat> 50 to 200 bucks for the stuff I was like just eyeing that I thought was super fucking cool. I didn't wow. find any yellow books there though. I thought right. they might be able to come across some neat little things like that, but I didn't go to all the booths. As soon as I ran out of money, I ran out of there. <laughs> so, um, but it was amazing. I really enjoyed it and can't wait till next year. Where, and where is so, where do they um, have that? Is that local to you? Or? This is in Glendale, yeah. But okay. um, Pulp Fest, which is one that I would really love to go to, is in Ohio. And um, I don't know if I'd be able to get to it, but um, if I could, that would be an amazing show to go to for sure. Cool. What would you find at Pulp Fest? Would it be? It wouldn't be just paperbacks, obviously. Um, it would be a lot of the old pulp magazines. So oh, cool. I would be like looking for like the Spider. I saw some Spider books there that were like fucking like a hundred to two hundred bucks. I was just like freaking out on them. But um, just all sorts of different like um, Doc Savage, The Shadow. Um, Black Mask, like all the old um, awesome pulps. Nice. Good shit. And then yeah. the dirty slicks and armpit slicks and stuff like that. But anyway. It's been a while know. since I've been to any sort of convention. The last one I went to, I think, 
This is a long time ago. It was a Fangoria weekend of horrors in New York. And I met Tom Savini. And um, I forget who else was there. Oh, let, just to give you an idea how long ago it was, they were premiering Henry Portrait of a Serial Killer. So that's how long ago it was. So now I remember. Um, did I lose you or are you just muted? I'm muted. Oh, you're muted, but okay. That, that's cool. Henry no Portrait of a Serial Killer. Dude, that is so fucking long ago. I'm telling you, like 90, I don't know, 90 something. Uh, 90 might even be it. Well, no, I don't think it's that long ago. <laughs> I'm looking it up. Thank you, Google. Holy shit, 1986. Are you kidding me? Wow. Yeah. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Well, it certainly wasn't. Yeah, it was released January 5th, 1990. You're right. Wow. How old was I? Wow. I think it was 17. 17. Old enough to get into trouble. Old enough to get into Fangoria Weekend of Horrors. Um, well, just so just as a segue, the do-it-yourself Giallo generator just generated the following Giallo called "Traces of a Dark." No, sorry, let me try that again. Traces of dark red on the withered leaves of autumn. That's awful. Right, let That's me, pretty good. It's a really long title. Yeah, how about kind of like a year vice thing. How about a blood-stained white rose on a frozen landscape? Directed by Franco Franco. <laughs> That's awesome. All right. Enough uh, right. dilly-dallying. Let's get to enough of meat, this. meat and potatoes here. Yeah. Uh, and and my, my machine hasn't crashed yet, so get ready, because it will. I'm, I guarantee it. Well, quit opening stuff. Close everything I know, down. Exactly. Maybe. That's what happens. <laughs> <laughs> So um, let me check this out over here. Um, yeah, so you're going to talk to us about a dragonfly for each corpse. That's sir. correct. And <clears throat> just in case, um, you know, we've gotten off the, the, the subject here uh, quite quickly. Uh, just in case anybody was wondering, this is the Nasty Nashy episode. Um, we decided to um, cover two films with Paul Nashy, and I don't know very much about Paul Nashy. So if you want to jump in, creep, when I'm talking about him, feel free to. As far as I understand it, he is considered the the, the king of Spanish horror movies. Um, but it seems to me that at some point um, the Jalo. Uh, was catching on in in uh, in Italy and and with international audiences so well that um, the Spanish production companies decided that they wanted to uh, produce some of these and Nashi decided that he wanted to get involved and um, so Dragonfly for each corpse um, now I have it listed as 1973 but I think it's 74 yeah I think both of them are 74 both are 74 yep and then. Um, Seven Murders for Scotland Yard, which also stars Nashi, is from 71. Now, I don't know much about that film. I don't know if it's a Spanish production. Um, and I don't know how much of a role Nashi has in this one compared to the other two where he's pretty much the star. Um, but I hope that one day to see that one because I really liked the two that we covered this week. Um, Spoiler. 
Yeah. So um, anything you want to add about Nashi in general? Like what should we, what should you know about him, if anything, well, going into watching what these films? I know, what I know of Nashi, and this might be a little um, generalized, but for those of you who are familiar with um, black exploitation and stuff like that, um, after a while, like Fred Williamson started basically his own production company and he started making his own movies and they were just going, they were coming out like as fast as he could make them kind of thing. And from what I gather, Paul Nash is kind of the same way. I don't know how much of a career he had before he started putting himself in everything. So, um, but from what I gather, he wrote scripts under a different name yeah. So it wouldn't just be Paul Nashi and Paul Nashi. Like, you know, um, Natural Born Killers, where Robert Downey Jr., he's doing his TV show, and it's like written by this guy. And it's the same name, directed by, created by, and it's his name <laughs> on every single page. Right. <clears throat> so I know that um, Paul Nashi kind of fell into that category a lot. And um, it's hard to tell when you're watching a dubbed movie how good the acting is. So This is true. So it's like you're not really sure if he's really good. Because like I know I've worked with some people who would pay to have their own movies made because they weren't getting the leading roles that they wanted. Right. So they would raise enough capital to put a movie together where they were the star. And so they had like starring this person produced by that name again um, concept by that person one more time <laughs> and it was just something like that and, but i think paul nashi um definitely fell into that camp um but i think what it was was his movies and especially the werewolf movies <clears throat> that he did um made him and his investors quite a few dollars. So it got to the point, I think where he could kind of do whatever the fuck he wanted, as long as he could do it for under a certain amount of money. <clears throat> and he became a Spanish household name, probably mm. more in a cult sense than in like an actual big star sense. Right. Well, there's a, I mean, there's a video on YouTube of John Landis and uh, Joe Dante talking about how great Nashi was. So they clearly understood, you know, what kind of an impact he had on the genre. Um, and like you said, um, if, you, if you look up the... Uh, Jason just said, so Paul Nashi is Spanish for Sylvester Stallone. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty much what I'm saying. Yeah. Well, I mean, if you look at the credits for, um, I think it's Dragonfly for each corpse, It'll show it, it shows in there some name. Um, let me look it up real quick. Um, under this, under the written by, and then in, in parentheses, it says Nashi. Um, or maybe that was Blue Eyes for the Broken Doll. I'm not really sure. Um, he, he wrote or co wrote both movies. He's, or yeah, he's, but he's got a different, he's got a different name listed as the, yeah, it's, uh, let me look for it here. I have it. Oh, here in we go. Jacinto Molina. Yeah, I was just going to throw that at you. There you go. 
that probably is more likely his real name. Right. Because <laughs> Paul is kind of like one of those like Americanized names for what have right. you and whatnot. Sure. <clears throat> well, and, and Leon uh, Klimovsky doesn't sound um, Argentinian, uh, the director of this film. And it turns out that his last name was actually, um, where is it? Uh, Dolfano, Leon, Leon Klimovsky Dolfano from Argentina. So, um, anyway, um, this film's called A Dragonfly for Each Corpse, Una li Libelula para cada muerto. I'm better at my Spanish than I am at my Italian because I took a couple of years of it. Um, I suck at both. Okay. So. so this is a film from 1974, and like I said, directed by Leon Klim Klimovsky, uh, and it stars Paul Nashi. And um, this Klimovsky character directed a couple of other films that uh, Nashi was in, called, one called The Werewolf versus the Vampire Woman, and another one called The Devil's Possessed. I'm sure there are probably more than that if you do enough research. Um, it seems that the film takes place in Italy. Uh, and the reason why I say that is because I looked up, I, I translated a couple of the signs that I saw in the film. The very first one that you see when they go to the police station says, Questura, which is Italian for police station because there's a different... Um, there's a different word used in Spanish for a police station. It has something to do with comisera or something like the commissar. Um, and then there's another um, place in the movie called Al Gufo Nero, which is Italian for the black owl. And um, I think at one point they mentioned Milan. Um, so despite this being a Spanish, all Spanish production, it looks like they at least made it or tried to make it look like it was tasting, taking place in Italy. I'm not exactly sure why they did that, but it's great for the Jalo score because it gets like three more points. So fine with me. Um, now, uh, for those of you who haven't seen this for whatever reason, you're listening to us talk, but you haven't seen it, um, this one is definitely available on YouTube. Um, and it is the same version that I have. I don't know if anybody can let me know where this where this copy came from. There's two versions of the film, and I actually, if you look up um, the film, there's a there's a, a website for cinema censorship or film censorship where they do side-by-side -side comparisons of the international version and the Spanish version. The Spanish version, believe it or not, has the exact same scenes as the international version where the nudity is the, the scenes are refilmed with women having their clothes on um, instead of it just being cut. So the version that I watched was uh, most of the film was a very good transfer that came clearly from some sort of a, uh, a direct negative transfer. 
And then when it got to either the very violent scenes or the scenes where there was nudity, it switched over to a very poor quality version of the video, and then it switched back again. Now, if you look up the censorship, that censorship website, that's not exactly what I was I expecting to see. So the scene where, in the movie where the killer goes in and there's three people that get killed at the same time and they're all nude and um, they're nude to begin with and then after they're killed, the police go in and they're still nude. Those scenes were filmed twice and one version they had clothes on and the other version they didn't have clothes on. And uh, I thought that was really interesting. I think that at one point or another, um, Dragonfly for each corpse was on some sort of Spanish television. Um, and uh, the other thing I noticed about this and the other movie that we're talking about tonight is that they're both in kind of a four to three aspect ratio. I'm not sure if widescreen versions of these things exist or if they really were just shot in, with that with that camera ratio because of the, the fact that it was you know an Argentinian or a Spanish production. Uh, so those are a bunch of questions that I cannot answer. Um, if anybody knows what the answers are, I'd be grateful to know what they are. Um, um, I don't know exactly, but I do have this bit of info. Um, <clears throat> when we sold one of my movies to Brazil, we had to um, recut it and fix the aspect ratio to 4.3. Oh, okay. For theatrical release. So I don't know if their screens are short, like thinner or yeah. what. Maybe they have but, old uh, style projectors. Cause I mean, um, the old Hollywood was, was in that ratio too, before it went to widescreen. Right. So maybe they are just using antiquated projection equipment down there. Yeah. Anyway. Um, good info. The, so the film, um, like I said, as far as I can tell, takes place in Italy. Um, and, it, star, it stars Paul Nashi. He is Inspector Paolo Scaparella. And um, he has a girlfriend named Erica. I'm sorry, his, his girlfriend is played by Erica Blanc, uh, whose name is Silvana. That's his girlfriend in the film. Now, Erica Blanc, we saw in So Sweet, So Perverse. She was Jean's, hus uh, Jean's wife who eventually, it turned out, had a an affair going on with Carol Baker in the Lindsay film. But other than her, other than Erica Blanc, uh, all the other actors in this film are Spanish, and we've never seen them before, at least I haven't, in any uh, of these Italian films that we've been covering. So um, this is a classic giallo. It starts out with a murder uh, by a black-gloved and hooded killer, and uh, the murders are fast and furious. There's two, um, I believe, before we even have Nashi brought in to look at the case. Um, he is uh, an interesting character. Uh, he's very likable. He, he's a very tough and macho kind of um, alpha male but um, he, he's painted uh, with a soft side. There's a scene where he's making spaghetti for his wife. Uh, he's sitting there with his wife's apron on, um, smoking a cigar. And um, to she the theme of Bay of Blood. Yeah, to the theme of Bay of Blood, which, which, I, which weird. was weird. It's a little off-putting, to be honest. But um, 
an interesting scene. It kind of showed that, you know, I, I, all of the scenes with, with Nashi's character, with his girlfriend seem to be, um, they, they all kind of work this in the same way in making him look like more than a one dimensional, like hot headed cop. Um, but regardless of his um, relationship with his girlfriend, he outwardly is this tough police inspector um, who's brought in um, by the commissioner uh, who has this amazing goatee and um, basically says, look, I need you to follow this case and figure it out. Um, so the murders keep piling up and we start to hear about some suspects and some characters. We find out that one of the characters was holding some sort of a very high fashionable button. And the word button is, is used about 3000 times in this film. Um, and they, they use that as a clue. But of course the, you know, what I forgot to mention is that the, the killer takes this dragonfly. I don't know if it's supposed to be a piece of jewelry or if it's supposed to be some sort of ornament, um, but he dips it in the victim's blood and leaves it behind as a calling card. So the police now have these dragonflies and they have this button and those are their clues to try and uh, move this investigation forward. Um, now the big scene in this, at least for me, is the party scene because we're introduced to all of the characters Nashi and his girlfriend, I keep saying Nashi, but his name is Paolo. Paolo and his girlfriend Silvana go to this cocktail party. And there's one guy there who is a construction um, builder slash contractor. There's some sort of an engineer guy. There's a fashion designer. Uh, there's a couple of girls that are attached to these guys. And I think there's a um, professor, an older professor. And they all start talking about you know the the case a little bit and you know i think the relationship is that silvana who's the girlfriend is friends with the designer and so she, i guess she brings nashi along because he's her boyfriend and they're all kind of in the same social circle i'm not exactly sure why but um as luck would have it coincidentally enough one of the people in that room just happens to be the person that nashi is looking for uh, to solve this case, although we don't know it, um, at least not on on the on the surface, we don't know this until later. And even then, we don't really know. <laughs> and even then, we don't really know. And we'll get into that in a minute. Um, but basically, the, uh. the the film continues on, and it gets a little bit convoluted and a little bit hard to follow. But it is fun to watch. Um, one of the reasons why it is fun to watch is because the English dub is awful. It is the one of the worst English dubs I've ever seen. And it's so bad, it's hilarious. And it, it's fun to watch because of how these people talk and how their voices come through uh, as they're talking about things. Um, but there's a couple of side stories and I don't know, they're not really side stories, but they're just additional characters that get thrown into this film to make things a little bit more difficult to follow. So there is a character named, uh, Mohammed Kabudi, who is a a under underworld or a, some sort of prostitution pimp drug lord who um, has influence over some of the people in this film. There's also the mention of somebody named Commander Marioni and his son, uh, who is one of the victims in this uh, this triple murder 
so again, the scene is that the killer goes in and there's a, a guy laying on the couch and two naked girls on the floor. And apparently there had been some sort of drug induced um, orgy of sorts. And the killer comes in and hacks everybody to pieces. Um, now, the killer's MO is that he's trying to rid the city of corruption, you know, the prostitutes, the drug addicts, and so on and so forth. Um, so uh, Apollo starts to follow the clues. He ends up in a situation where he has to defend himself against four of these gang members. And God bless him, he does such a good job trying to put up a fight and fight off these four guys. But eventually they overpower him and, and beat him up and tell him that if they ever try messing with him again, that uh, that they'll kill him. And they're um, Nazis. And they're Nazis. Yes, that's right. They have swastikas, <laughs> uh, bands, and, and, and emblems on their uh, attire, uh, which was amazing. So, uh, you know, the film, this film continues to get... Yeah, right. They're Nazis working for a man named Mohammed. Um, the film, a, a, as the film continues to roll on, it just gets more and more ridiculous. And, and for me, at least, it gets more and more enjoyable because it just becomes just this crazy romp. Um, the, the next scene that I really enjoyed was when um, Nashi is sitting with his girlfriend and she says, you're having a terrible birthday. First of all, you got beat up. And second of all, that shirt is so ugly. <laughs> Something like that. And then third, the present that I bought for your birthday hasn't come yet. And so eventually it comes and it ends up being the head of this Mohammed person. And the killer sends him a blood written note that says, you know, I did you a favor. I had to get rid of this corruption. So here's the head and, and, and you're welcome. Um, <laughs> so meanwhile, we, we get a glimpse into the rest of the lives of these people. Um, and again, we have uh, Volpini, who is the contractor and builder guy. Um, and he has a wife named Claudia. Now, Claudia is having an affair with Edmundo. Now, Edmundo, I think, is an engineer. At least he makes refrigerators, at least. Um, and he's married to Ingrid. Now, Ingrid is having an affair with Ruggiero. And Ruggiero is the cross-dresser who's also trying to work out a deal with Muhammad, um, who eventually um, has this crazy, crazy demise uh, on a roller coaster. And we'll talk about that in one second. But there's also Victorio. Now, Victorio knows that he's seen this button somewhere, and he tries to figure it out. And, um, and so uh, Paolo, Paul Nashi's character, and Victorio, or Victorio, are trying to work together in figuring out this this problem with the with the with the button um so uh we talked about the nazi gang members we talked about all the affairs uh we talked about the professor we haven't talked about the professor yet who has some sort of a necrophiliac fetish uh, <clears throat> he pays this woman uh this stripper uh to i guess have sex with him inside of a coffin um but once she is prepared for the scene or pre prepared herself for the act of of uh, making love in the coffin. The killer comes in and uh, hacks her hand off, uh, and apparently she has no blood whatsoever inside of her hand uh, because the effect um, that they showed <clears throat> in the violent scene it just looked like um, the end of a, 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 a I don't even know it was like the end of a stump where her hand yeah, came off. It reminded me of the. Um, Cow tails. Did you ever? Did you ever have cow tails? Those big long um, candy strips that have the 
the white icing inside they're like caramel or something that's what it reminded me of i don't know why um that's, no. no sorry okay let's move on uh, i'll try my best here so um so the next really big thing that happens is Vict Victorio uh, is killed once he figures out what's going on with this button. And in his last moments of life, he draws a picture that eventually ends up being the picture of an arm with a birthmark on it. Now, this is where the amateur detective thing comes in because Silvana, who is Paolo's, uh, Paolo's girlfriend, she starts to use her quote-unquote women's intuition uh, to figure out what's going on in this um, in this mystery. Meanwhile, Paolo says, look, I, I can't deal with this. I'm, I need facts. I need to go on what I know. You do whatever you want and whatever. So there's kind of parallel investigations going on at the same time. Um, eventually, Paolo figures out uh, who the killer is. Uh, there's some sort of historical documents that have to do with this, the killer's um, parents who are both corrupted drug addicts and prostitutes and apparently this contributed to him being a wackadoo um and while paulo figures this out silvana also figures it out but she uses the birthmark to figure it out so we get to the very end of the film and there's this classic showdown where um where we've seen this in very many jolly uh over the years where the um the final uh, confrontation, the final showdown, is between the guy who's trying to solve the case, the killer, and the the detective or the amateur detective's girlfriend. Uh, we saw it in Bird. We saw it in um, Black Belly of the Tarantula. Uh, and in this particular case, it's in an old, um, not an old, in a construction site of a building that's being uh, put together. Uh, we get to the end, and we finally get the reveal, and it turns out to be dun dun dun. dun. Let me see if I can find a sound effect for this. Dun 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 dun. Uh, I can't. <laughs> Isn't that terrible? All right, here we go. Vittorio. No, it's not Who? Vittorio. It's not. <laughs> it's not Vittorio. Let me try that again. The killer ends up being. Pietro Volpini, and you said who, and you still say who. Who? So it's yeah. the guy who, he. I think, as far as I can tell, he was only in three scenes in this whole film. The first one is at the party. He's the guy with the white jacket and the pink bow tie and the sunglasses. He's the contractor builder. The second scene that he's in is the golf scene where he's playing golf with Edmundo, who, and they're talking about their wives cheating on each other. And then he doesn't sh show up again until the very end when he unmasks himself. Each time he looks different. Um, Completely so, different. So it's, it's impossible to figure out who this guy is, or at least I thought it was. Um, and not only does he look different from one scene to the next, but he also looks like some of the other guys. He looks like Edmundo. Um, but then if you go back and watch it again, you realize that Edmundo got hit over the head with a golf club. So it can't be him. Um, the only person who's easy to figure out what he looks like is um, the professor. His name is Sandro. So we have Pietro, Edmundo, Sandro, Rogero, and Victorio. 
and they all talk about all these characters throughout the film and you have no idea what they're talking about so um meanwhile i and i forgot to get back to ruggiero ruggiero um is having an affair with um ingrid and that's ingrid she was yeah she was the hottie of the film for sure that's edmundo's wife who's having an affair with ruggiero who is does this cross-dressing thing and also um is going and trying to do some underworld underworld deal deal with muhammad the scene that probably makes the whole film is that uh the cops come because they follow ingrid to where Edmundo is, or where Ruggiero is, I'm sorry. And uh, Ruggiero just happens to run out to this uh, fair or carnival or something where they have this roller coaster. And you would never even, if you wrote this down in a script, I would think somebody would look at it and go, you're kidding me, right? So a, um, a man dressed as a woman gets on a roller coaster and decides to shoot while he's riding on the roller coaster in in an effort to escape but the real question is who was he escaping from because eventually the roller coaster would come back to where it started and but they didn't even think about that they didn't even think about that they decided to shut it down <laughs> they turned it off while he was at the top so that he could climb down and he gets shot and his body falls and um it was so funny I was watching this last night and I we got to that particular scene and it was my second time through and I called my wife over to watch it because I thought she'd find it hilarious and she didn't find it the least bit hilarious. She's like, why is this Why is this funny? I'm like, well, it's funny because it's ridiculous. Oh, okay. It's just like, uh, anyway, it was lost on her, but I thought it was funny. Um, I watched it a few times. I thought it was, I thought it was really fantastic uh, film or scene in the film. And also I did like the other one where the professor walk, just happens to walk into the dark ride and the gorilla jumps out and strangles him. And then he shows up in the car uh, dead when it comes back out again. So there was two of those carnival rides and one of them, that, that one dark ride scene reminded me of eyeball. Yeah. Um, so, you know, again, we get to the end of this film and um, I, you know, I think that um, we talked about, I think in general, the film is entertaining. I have to say that. I would recommend people watch it just for how entertaining it is. But you have to understand that it's entertaining um, for reasons why it wasn't trying to be entertaining. Like, like some of it, it was trying to be over the top, obviously. But some of it, it just didn't realize, I guess, at the time um, how silly the film was. Um, it's a very convoluted narrative, so it's really not important to follow the narrative that much. You get to the end and you go, I have no idea who this guy is. And if you really need to find out, you have to go back and figure it out. But what really is great about the film is the things that are bad about it, like the bad dubbing. Um, there's a scene where uh, one of the women says, Edmundo owes us a celebration for the success of his refrigerators at the exposition. And I'm like, are you kidding me? Who says that? And and then the guy who goes, I'm tired of you. Go back to your stupid husband. <laughs> and then she goes back. She goes back to him. And she says, you're not worth a damn. Go ahead. Go ahead. And she says it really fast. Um, but my favorite line of the whole film is when Nashi turns to his girlfriend and he says, conclusions, intuitions, what I need are realities. And he puts his hand up like, you know, the Italian way of like gesturing with your hand every time you say a word. 
um, those those scenes are just so great. Um, listening to those people talk, um, whoever did the overdubs, I mean, they they had to know that it was terribly translated. Um, but um, yeah, so I think that you know this is a tr definitely a trashy Jalo. It's not a little bit on the more sophisticated side like some of the ones that we've talked about in the past. Um, this one kind of falls in line with Eyeball and Strip Nude and um, Case of the Bloody Iris and those sorts of things. Uh, I like it. I thought it was a good film. I would watch it again just because it's silly. I think it's probably something you want to have a couple of drinks before you watch. Um, I was not impressed by the soundtrack uh, for two reasons. The first one was they re obviously recycled a bunch of stuff from other films that was like in public domain. Although that that title sequence theme song, I don't know where that came from. Um, there's no mention of who did the music on uh, IMDb or on the credits. Uh, I think in some, certain places it's listed as CAM, which I think is some sort of Italian public domain or international public domain soundtrack um, resource. But we hear um, the ending theme from uh, Bay of Blood in one scene. We hear uh, Blood and Black Lace being played a couple of times um, in the in the film, and I think all the colors of the dark is in there too. Like dun 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 dun. dun. I think that's in there. And I really didn't like the fact that they would play this music in the background while the dialogue scenes were happening. Um, it's in one really of weird spots because, like the. The Bay of Blood song played while he was cooking spaghetti and having a conversation, and right. then when him and his girlfriend were making out in bed. Right. And that's, like, not a song I would want to, like, make out with anybody. I guess the, the, the whole idea of it being, you know, kind of a childish kind of thing, and he was being... He was he was he was letting go of his seriousness for a minute, and they were fooling around. Well, they around played the "Blood and Black Lace" while he ate a carrot. <laughs> he was in the kitchen, and he opened the fridge and pulled out like a carrot and started eating it. And that was like the whole scene. And I was like, "Why are they wasting the song on that?" Like, yeah, I don't know. That's such a weird. <laughs> Weird, weird, weird. So that's it. I mean, I, I talked for quite a while about this. What do you well, think? Other things about, I mean, things about this movie that I liked was like his apartment was amazing. Right. It still had some of that um, like Baroque style, but there was so much cool shit. It's almost, it almost looks like Ikea watched this movie <laughs> and said, oh, we should make lamps that look like that. We yeah. should make couches that look like that because like a lot of the stuff looks like shit you would see at Nikea now yeah but um but not as whatever but um so there were a lot of cool sets there was some cool um wardrobe stuff my a couple problems I have is if I had if my if the clues I had was a button and a jewel dragonfly I would try to find out who the maker of the jewel dragonfly was as opposed to the button. Like that just seems like such a more straight direct shot. If they could find out <clears throat> where these dragonflies were coming from, they would know who the killer was. Right. Exactly. And 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 how about how morbid was it that that Nashy just kept them pinned up on the wall? Like every time there was another one, he just put another one up on the wall. Like 
yeah. in his office. Like, ugh, it's kind of wacky, kind of morbid. Yeah. But I mean, I don't know. I was a little disappointed by the production values. I thought that some of the sets looked cheap, and I thought yeah, that I thought that some of the camera work. It seemed like there was a lot of situations where they just stuck the camera in one spot and didn't move it at all, and just had the scene. Whereas and had I mean, the people move around. Yeah, I mean, I'm so used. Like I'm so used going. to these to these Italian films being, you know, full of these fluid camera movements all like all throughout. That I just yeah. I, I've gotten so used to them, and I've gotten um, spoiled by them. I guess there were a lot of shots that tried to accentuate like these really high ceilings, so you would have like this giant wall of ugly fucking wallpaper, <laughs> and Paul Nashy standing in front of it, making him look extremely short. Right, and it like those scenes were kind of weird, um, but like I really. I think the thing for me that made it really difficult was when I finally, like at the golf scene, when the two guys are talking about who cheated on who. Right. I was like, is one of these guys supposed to be Paul Nashy? And he like shaved his mustache <laughs> off. Like, I don't know who the fuck these two guys are. And I just, I was getting really irritated with not knowing who anybody was. And then when um, Paul Nashy runs up the stairs and that body falls like kind of hanging upside down. It's a girl. I thought that was his girlfriend. And I'm like, Oh my God, they killed his girlfriend. I can't believe it. Yeah. But yeah. I, I felt that screaming and I'm like, Oh, okay. So that's not his girlfriend. I don't know who the fuck that was then. And it was just like every girl like looked alike for the most part. Yeah. Every dude pretty much looked the same except the fashion guy. He had a very distinct look and um, super cool goatee guy. Like I thought for sure, I'm like, okay, well, if this is how this is going to go, the killer's probably his boss because that's a really nice looking goatee and he looks pretty sharp. <laughs> but um, the other thing that I really liked was I liked the killer's outfit. Yeah, yeah, it was cool. Like, having like the whole black coat, black mask thing with fucking crazy bright red like bell bottom fucking pants. I was yeah. like, wow, that's pretty fucking out there. So that was cool. So there were things about it that I liked, but I was really annoyed when the movie ended. And I'm so fucking glad you said something earlier. Like, could someone please fucking tell me who the killer was in this movie? Because I don't understand. Because I was like going, dude, I do not want to sound like a dumbass tonight. And go, I have no fucking idea who that guy was. <clears throat> so yeah, that worked we out. A, we had a couple of people on the site um, also chime in and say, yeah, it was, it was a little difficult to figure out the first couple times through. But um, again, I think that was because of, you know, the, the killer... Um, it's very similar to Cat of Nine Tales, where the killer he's he shows up in like one scene in the beginning, and he's mentioned like for two seconds later on in the film, and then he shows up as the killer, and you're like, well, who the fuck is this guy? I don't even remember him. I remember um, that Cat of Nine Tales. I was like, uh. So you're the last guy left, and I still don't remember you. Right. And I'm like, oh, wait, you were in that stupid scene that had the pyramids with the X's and the Y's. Right. Yep. Yeah. That, was, that was the only scene that he that he had anything to say in. 
and you know i guess the idea was it's the le it's the least likely suspect is is the one now i thought it was going to end up being his girlfriend which i thought that, that would have been a great i thought it was kind of leaning that way too that's another thing like both of these movies i'll say had plenty of people who could have been the killer right but my issue i guess is is that if like the most if the least likely suspect is the least likely suspect just because they weren't in the movie very much and you don't even remember them that's kind of a cheap way out yeah totally uh, absolutely and the other thing i really liked about this movie though was that um i think this is the first movie that the title of the movie is exactly what it is like <laughs> right. there was a dragonfly for each corpse there like was boom like that's exactly what it was yep um jason had a couple comments here he said i think they covered the dragonfly if i remember correctly uh they said they tried to find out but since they couldn't find a source he must have made them himself it also kind of looked like he had a supply with just three more in the box at the end yeah <laughs> i, I missed that if they said that they already tried looking for it and they couldn't figure it out. So if he made them, then that makes sense. And I'll, I'll give up that one. Um, but yeah, so that's basically my two cents about it. Um, it was a good movie, but I really like blue eyes of the broken doll better. So, yeah. um, if we want to segue or crossfade into the other movie now, can we do that? Oh wait, actually, what did this get on the Jalo score? Uh, it did well on Jalo score, um, and I didn't publish uh, Blue Eyes yet. I just haven't had the time to write it up, um, and I wanted to cheat and hear what you had to say about it before I wrote it. Um, but a dragonfly for each corpse. It got a seventy-three, um, and I, as I as I kind of detailed in the write up. Um, if this was an Italian production, it would have been a 90 plus, um, simply because we've got a director who is not Italian. We've got a director who's never before or since made a giallo. Um, and we don't have a good soundtrack. And I, I don't want to say that good is only falls in the bucket of Morricone or Nicolai or Riz or Talani, but if it's a good soundtrack, but it's uh, somebody else's, yeah, <laughs> yeah. So, um, with that kind of understanding that those things were taken away simply because of the place and time, um, a 73 is good, uh, for this particular film. It's it's very classic in its in its in the way that the story is composed and the way that the that the events take place in the film for sure. Um, I, I rank it as an entertaining giallo that's worth a watch, uh, but not to be taken too seriously, obviously. All right, guys. Well, if you want to have some fun, let's talk about Blue Eyes. Okay? Because this... This is fun. Yeah. This is fun in like, the sense like G.I. Joe's fun or like <laughs> He-Man's fun. Okay. Like, it's a lot of fun. So basically, this movie, Blue Eyes of the Broken Doll, is also called 
Los Ojos, Azules, De La Munica, Rhoda. That's Ojos. I failed Spanish. <laughs> the story is um, I got a 24% in Spanish and I wasn't going to graduate so I had to take floral design to make up the so I do have a certificate in um, floral arrangements I was the only guy in the class with a room full of girls I don't know why no one else tried to do that it was an extremely fun class I'll leave it at that so um, um, yeah no so uh, ojos is what you're trying to say. Ojos. The, the J is an H in Spanish. I remember that. And, and azul blue. Uh, yeah, so ojos is eyes. Azules yeah. is blue. And I would assume... La, la is of the... Of the, yes. And the muñeca. Muñeca, I think, called. is the doll. And then rota would be broken. So, yes. Yeah. Cool. Well, well, that sounds okay. So um, it was directed by Carlos Ered, supposedly, um, starring Paul <laughs> Nashi, who also co-wrote it, um, Diana Loris, uh, Mariah Pershy, and Eva Leone. Um, I probably killed a lot of those names. The film was also released on VHS as House of Psychotic Women, and was shown on television as House of Doom, edited. Um, so, and I have to say that the uh, House of Psychotic Women poster is one of my favorites. It's, it's like pretty the, cool. It's like the split, say. the split with the nice-looking woman and the crazy-looking woman and the pitchfork. Yeah, but it's like a hand pitchfork. Yes. Like, I wish I had one of those. It looks like something Raphael from Ninja Turtles would have if he was scary. <laughs> uh, okay. <clears throat> now, I'm going to fuck all of this up, but here we go. So, here's the plot. The story is about a drifter named Giles, maybe? I thought his name was something completely different, but... Gilles. 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 Okay. Gilles. That makes more sense, because when they start talking about Jean... I thought they were talking about the same guy, and I'm like, I don't fucking understand what anyone's saying. Okay, the story is about Gilles, who arrives in a French village looking for work. He soon gets a lift from a woman named Claude, strange, who sports a prosthetic hand, a ridiculously awesome prosthetic hand, by the way, (laughs) hiding a gruesome deformity. Okay, so right off the bat, shit just got fucking really cool, okay? Then she um, gives him a job as a handyman at a large house that she owns with her two sisters, the nymphomaniac Nicole and the paraplegic Yvette. Okay, this movie can't get any better. There's a woman in a wheelchair (laughs) upstairs. Boom. (laughs) This movie's getting really good, okay? So soon after he's doing all this shit, Nicole takes a strong interest in him, and Claude gets mad. Yvette has this doctor who I think is the professor in the other movie. Yes. 
Okay, cool. The same dude. Okay. He looks super familiar, and I know I've seen him in other stuff. Um, <clears throat> I don't remember what his name is offhand. I'll look in a second here. So he has this, there's this doctor, and then he wants this nurse to come. That nurse ends up not coming, but they send this super hot, younger, blonde nurse up. Um, now, as all this stuff is going on, a black glove killer is murdering blue-eyed women and gouging out their eyes and putting them in little tubs of water. Um, and I, I already forgot his name. Gil. Uh, Gilles. Gilles um, is like the top suspect because he has a shading past involving um, abuse of his girlfriend, his old girlfriend, and he and everything started as soon as he got to town, which is a little too convenient for my liking, I must say. But other than that, um, this starts to go pretty good. So basically, he goes into town. Well, here's the thing: the movie um, Chris did, Dragonfly, starts off with a bang, and it's yeah. like boom, boom, boom. We're going. This movie was like fucking the end of the Incredible Hulk TV show. Motherfucker is walking for days <laughs> and it just drags on and drags on and drags on. And I'm like, fucking hell. And then they did this shot where it was like, you see him as a little dot at the end of this really far street and the cameras at this end of the street. <laughs> and I'm like, Oh my God, if I have to fucking sit here and watch him walk all that fucking way, I'm leaving. I'm done. But it turns out that um, that wasn't the case. And he goes to this weird bar that we see a bunch of times in the movie. And there's this kind of creepy, kind of not bartending lady <laughs> who I can't tell if she's attractive and it's kind of hot or if she's terrifying. She's terrifying. Not, is she terrifying? Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She's so um, she makes him like this giant fucking cheese sandwich. And um, this is a tiny glass of wine and he doesn't drink the wine. He takes a sip and then packs a cheese sandwich and bones out. And there's this cop with an amazing mustache that makes him look like a sexy airline pilot. Yep. It was really hard for me to keep going. Oh yeah. He's like the top cop. Cause I kept wanting him to like get in a plane and fly somewhere and take off his weird hat. But um, so, and then there's like a couple creepy dudes that hang out in the bar and all this other shit, whatever. So he's walking back up the street. It's dark. He's smacking on a cheese sandwich. A car pulls over and it's prosthetic arm lady with weird fingers. And he hops in the car with her and they go to the house. So basically they've had a lot of people who've worked there in the past. You find out, but because they start banging the nymphomaniac redhead, Nicole, um, Claude, the oldest sister, um, make fires him and makes him leave. And she kind of holds Nicole there hostage for some reason, which I don't really understand because it just seems like, why doesn't she just fucking leave if she's really <laughs> that unhappy with everything? So, um, as luck would have it, he ends up banging Nicole, which is great. Um, and then just out of weirdness, this dude hops a fence with a giant fucking knife and starts attacking him. <laughs> and there's this awesome fight with a rake and a big knife and he gets cut. And then Paul Nashie stabs him in the gut with his own knife. And the dude like flees and Paul needs help. So the sexy new nurse comes and stitching him up and he sits there and then he does this look like he looks down this girl's shirt. He looks at this chick and then he looks back up at 
um, Claude, and she's like, "Ugh, you disgust me," because he's like, well, "How am I going to bang all these chicks right now? Like, I, I know I can do it. I just got to figure out how this is going to work." So it doesn't take him long. He goes back to his weird little shack, and Claude comes down to find out how he's doing and she's dressed super sexy, which is weird because it's raining outside and super windy and he pulls her hair down and she's like, what are you doing? And he doesn't say, say anything. I don't think. And he's just like, well, I'm going to take off your clothes and we're going to do the de deed right now because you locked your sister in the room like a psychopath <laughs> and I'm kind of horny. So <laughs> they do their thing. So now like in most movies, they do it once and she's in love. Okay. And there's a scene where she takes off her prosthetic hand and dude, she's got like a thumb and a pinky. She's always saying, hang loose. That's all she's got. And it's yep. all scarred and crazy. Pretty and nice she, stuff. She says that it's repugnant and it's hideous. Mm -hmm. Something like and that. And then the redhead says it's repugnant later. So that must be a word that gets thrown around the house quite a bit. <laughs> so, um, while all this is going on, girls are getting killed. And there's one scene which really is unnecessary with the pig. Like, yeah, where they're slaughtering a pig. And there really is no need for it. Because after that scene, you have there's never any um, backstory on any of the people who get killed. Right. It's like, oh, this chick's in the cellar. I'm going to kill her. You know? So, like, doing this whole big thing where they're getting the blood from the pig. It's really, if you don't like seeing animals get hurt, don't watch that scene. But well, at the I, same time, like how the hell do you get bacon? Well, I watched it pretty closely and I don't think that they used the pig when they finally stabbed it. I think they cut well, they in. Had that hook in its jaw. Yeah. Yeah. They, they were definitely not, they were definitely not abusing okay. it. But mm -hmm. I think when they finally killed it to get the blood out, um, I think they were, they had a close up and they probably used some sort of a body double for the pig. The blood looked fake. Yeah. I will the say that. But the it, blood looked like the wine that the other girl who looked just like the other girl who got killed. Came. Yeah. And she was wearing like the same outfit too, which was weird. Yeah. Like a blue top and a white skirt. And I'm like, why would you be getting blood out of a pig in a white skirt? <laughs> like, I cannot think of anything worse to wear to <laughs> pig but no one asked me these questions okay so we're just stuck with this so anyway so all these people start dying and one of the best dubs is she's there's this chick and this dude and they're making out in an alley or something and it's dark and she's like oh i gotta go home and i'm so late i'm gonna have to go through the graveyard obviously <laughs> and the guy's like oh well you better you know be careful there's ghosts in there and she's like, you're stupid. I'm going to sing a song. And I started cracking up. I'm like, that is the worst ever. That's like the worst line I've ever heard. But um, it took me a little bit to figure this out. But the song she starts singing and then the song that plays every time the killer comes out is, um, I don't know if you guys have kids who are listening to this or if you ever watched Barney. But it's like, here is Thumpkin, here is Thumpkin. Yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's Frere Jacques. Thank you. Yeah, it's that whole thing, okay? So the whole time I'm watching this movie, I'm sitting here going to my dogs. I'm like, 
where is Freddy? Where is Freddy? Where is Freddy? I'm like singing these stupid songs to my dogs because I can't get the fucking song out of my head. So that happened. Okay. So anyway, these girls start dying. And then stuff starts getting a little confusing because like they're like, every victim has had blue eyes. Well, how did you know that? Well, their parents told me. And then later it's like, well, actually not all the victims had blue eyes. One of them didn't. Oh, that's strange. And, um, so all of this stuff starts kind of not making much sense. And then because there's the whole Farajaka thing and I'm thinking Thumpkin, I'm like going, oh, well, it's got to be the chick with no hand with the thing because it's a Thumpkin song and talking about fingers. With So I'm like, oh, okay, that's that. But then as you watch it, they're like, I think it was this Jean guy who attacked uh, Gilles whatever his fucking name is. <laughs> Gilles, but right. They, then they find him rotting in a fucking dead-ass cornfield. So he's been dead for days, so it obviously can't be him. This whole time, the sexy nurse is being really weird with um, the wheelchaired Yvette and putting weird stuff in her drink and making her take it as a sedative and making weird phone calls. Right. And um, so she's freaking out and she tells the doctor. And so the doctor pulls her aside and then he's like, just don't be so obvious when you do that. And she's like, oh, okay, no sweat. And now he's looking like a shifty motherfucker. And then this whole time, I think his name's Renee, this dude that just hangs out at the bar that hangs out with the cop. Yeah, he is the most suspicious fucking guy in the world, right. and these three young chicks come up and start acting like skanks at the bar, <laughs> and he's staring at them, and so that's just weird. Well, anyway, <clears throat> as the movie starts going, things start getting crazy, and Nicole. It took me a while to figure out where the fuck she was when she stumbled upon this room. But she stumbles upon this room, and we don't see what she sees, but the killer's there. So Nicole, obviously, is not our killer. Um, and she gets killed. And so she's out of our herring list or whodunit list. Um, but now we're trying to figure out... I was trying to figure out where the fuck she was, because I thought it was in her house. But apparently it wasn't. Hmm. Um and then you're going, okay, so it might be the nurse, it could be the doctor, it could be Renee, it could be the cop with the awesome mustache, or it really could be uh, Paul Nashy, or it could be one hand, you know, right. like, who knows? Um, so then all this stuff's going on, and then all of a sudden, when shit gets real, it gets... Uh, does that happen first? Let me let me go over this bit real quick. So Paul Nashy <laughs> beat up his girlfriend and spent time in jail. Okay. Right. So they, they're automatically going to think it was him. The cop finds out, calls Claude to say, you know, be careful. That guy's a murderer. So because she's in love with him, she runs off and tells him, hey, they're coming for you. So instead of doing the obvious thing, which is give him an alibi, they decide to take a gun and run to the hills, which makes absolutely no fucking sense at all. At this point in the movie, like I was just like, this is fucking dumb. I can't believe they're doing this. And then as he's running, he doesn't want her to follow him because he knows it'll be dangerous for him. 
So he punches her in the face, knocks her out. <laughs> and then he very slowly tries to climb up this snowy hill. And when she gets up, he's still trying to get up this hill. He's not making any ground, but obviously he's too far away for her to catch up. And she just sits there and looks sad while he's struggling very hard to get up this very slight incline. <laughs> right. Well, all these cops show up and start shooting at him, and he's running through. The cops are horrible shots. And then, as luck would have it, he steps in a bear trap. Oh, shit. Things are getting real now. But this is after and he got so, shot in the back, right? Yeah. So he gets shot in the back. He's in a bear trap. He's still shooting. Then they fucking shoot him like 80 times in slow motion. And I'm like, what the fuck just happened? And I, now I'm sitting here going, did he fucking do it? Right. Like, I can't believe this. And then I checked the running time. I'm like, there's still 20 minutes in this movie? Yeah, yeah, Jesus. yeah. That so was Paul the good Nash, part. Paul Nashie's dead. I'm like, what the fuck happened here? So now shit gets crazy. If it hasn't been crazy yet. <laughs> just in case. Just hang on. Because <laughs> this, like, this is why this movie's fucking awesome. Okay, so hot nurse is walking up to the house. She gets attacked by the killer. And you're like, holy shit, what's happening? She picks up a piece of wood and stabs the killer in like the leg or something and runs to the house. Once she gets in the house, she's not really concerned about running anymore. She's just like playing it cool or whatever. And then she sees a wheelchair at the bottom of the stairs. And you're like, what? And then guess what? Yvette is standing. And you're like, oh my God, Yvette could walk. I knew it because the whole time you're going, I bet that bitch could walk, but you don't want to say it out loud in case you're wrong. So (laughs) then (laughs) even if you're watching a movie by yourself, you know, it's still don't want to say it out loud. I don't want my dogs to think, I don't know what the fuck's going on. (laughs) And one of the coolest things happens. She fucking like breaks this girl's like larynx or whatever, or trachea or whatever by smashing her throat in between the folded wheelchair. Awesome. Totally oh, yeah, awesome. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I that was, was like, great. in that. I was like, that's fucking cool. So then Yvette gets up, and what happens? She gets stabbed by the killer. And you're like, what? What scream? What Wes Craven? I'm confused <laughs> now. And then the cops come in, and then one hand comes in, and they're like, oh shit, it looks like she was the killer, and she tried to stop him, and case is closed. So you're like, fucking hell, that was crazy. But you're still thinking, who the fuck stabbed her? So then we're at the doctor's office and they're the cops there and we're talking to Claude and they're like, you know what? You should just like get away from here. There's nothing here for you anymore. And I'm like, bitch, there's a big ass house. There's a lot of stuff here for me. I just don't have any fucking <laughs> sucking brothers and sisters or just sisters, whatever. So I don't even know why she has to leave. But then the cop comes in and he's like, guess what? that chick got stabbed by somebody else. And they're like, what? And so they're like, okay, well, who is it? And Renee's there. And I'm like, oh, thank God they're going to pin this motherfucker yet. Because I'm sure he had something to do with it. Claude's looking guilty. Airline guy is like telling everyone how it is. And then all of a sudden, whoa, plot drop, here it comes. It was the doctor. And you're like, huh? But was it the doctor? I'm not sure. Let's let's go over this. Because what he starts doing, he starts trying to hypnotize Renee with his watch. So it makes me think Renee might have actually been 
one of his people. But basically, he hypnotized Yvette to do a bunch of shit. And the reason why is because the first doctor who was supposed to come fucked up his daughter's eyeball trans something or whatever. Basically, long story short, because this nurse fucked up, she died. Okay? Right. So he wanted her to die because of that. So that's why she didn't have blue eyes. Fine. So what's been going on since, which I don't understand, because it seems like this should have been something that had been going on for quite some time, but this just started happening. Um, He was pulling all these blue eyes out of these blonde girls so he could go into that weird room that Nicole found earlier um, and find the corpse of his daughter and place their blue eyes inside of her dead body. And her eye sockets had maggots crawling around in them, which had to have been the most disgusting thing I have ever seen in the history of forever. It was so fucking gross. And like for... Like, just, like, the look, it looked so fucking real. Like, that face looked like a real fucking face. And so I really have no idea how they did that. And then the movie ends with the doctor knowing he's been caught, like, just, like, crying in this big, giant, beautiful white room. Yep. But, like, just the whole thing was so fucking cool that the killer was just hypnotizing people to kill people and I guess bring him the eyeballs or he would pick up the eyeballs later. It's just brilliant. (laughs) But at the same time, the thing that just makes me so fucking mad was, hey, we've been banging. Just tell him I was with you the whole time. Right. (laughs) Why was that so hard? Why was the first thought... Let's run to the hills. Yeah. Because there's a street over there or something. Because he just had oh. this he just had this uh, gut reaction, like they're not gonna take me alive and just decided to run and she's like, I'm gonna go with you. And that was it. And then if you're if you don't want to get caught, why would you keep the newspaper clippings of your picture with your story? Because that's how she found out about it. I knew I'd seen him before somewhere. That's yeah. what he said. The, uh, that's what the cop said in the in the restaurant. Yeah, just oh. so weird. But you know, there was a scene in the beginning when I watched it the second time, where Clawhand is sitting with the doctor, and the doctor's talking about how you know her affliction is psychosomatic, and she might walk one yep. day. And then he says uh, something about we're doing some psychotherapy, and she says, "Are you also doing hypnosis?" And he says, "Yes, you got to stay." current with the times dear lady or something like that so that was the big hint right there and of course there's no way you would have ever gotten that hint the first time through because it was so off the wall but i did not guess the killer i um when when we got towards the end i did decide it was going to be the weird wheelchair girl um but that's who i thought it was and i didn't but it kind of wasn't it was but it wasn't right because she was just how does that how does that work? Because she didn't do it of her own free will. Or well, I gave I gave for as far as the Jalo score is concerned, I gave the killer credit to the doctor, not to um, the wheelchair girl. Yeah, and so it was him doing is it. She, he, is she an accomplice? If it, it was yes, it was revenge, yeah. and they got it got extra points because it was multiple killers or accomplice. So, which is great for the score. But um, 
Yeah, I liked it too. I, I want to watch it again because I only watched it once, and um, some of the scenes were just so, like, like so insanely crazy. Like, uh, like I, I, I couldn't understand what I was even watching. Um, like how crazy it was, but um, it was still fun. Like, as 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 much as it was difficult to fathom that the film could not get any more insane from one scene to the next, it did. And I kept enjoying watching it. It was, you know, yeah. it was great. I loved um, the soundtrack. I thought the soundtrack was awesome. Uh, real quick, Jason looked it up. He said, um, every place I looked said the pig was real. I thought the blood looked fake too, but... I don't know. That is the old way to slaughter pigs, though, and harvesting the blood for sausage, probably. Right. Well, there you go. Eesh. Nasty, nashy. But yeah, uh, I love the soundtrack. I would love to get a copy of it somewhere. It's it's like this mixture of like Fender Rhodes kind of jazz funk and like Horace Silver jazz, like hard bop. It's, it's, um, it's really awesome. I could listen to it. It's all the time. It starts off great. You know, the very, the very beginning scenes with, with Nash, with the, with Gilles walking around or walking down the desolate road with that, that music with the bass line going. Yeah. It's so cool. And you know, and, and I really did like that Frere Jaca kind of thing that they did, where they they changed it so that it sounded kind of weird and a little bit atonal yeah. because it represented the killer. Um, yeah, so I, I thought that the the score was done really well for this one, but it doesn't seem to be available anywhere. And this film, I don't know much about um, the version that. I have it's like a pretty decent cut again it's another four to three aspect ratio cut I found it uh, on the internet um, I downloaded it from a, a site on the internet but it's not on YouTube and um, I don't know if it comes from some DVD it looks very like the, the copy I have is very um, is a very clean picture quality so but yeah. I don't know I don't know where it came from I don't know if you can still get it or or where so this it's this is a really fun movie i really liked it absolutely and so this one this one as far as the score is concerned um got a 58 i think oh crap but you're <laughs> gonna add a color thing to it yeah so it'll be 59 once we and what about since dolls in the title no dolls doesn't doesn't count. <laughs> Blue eyes is a broken doll. Now, so where did it lose? Oh, so well, it lost. It lost some serious points, obviously, because the director, you know, doesn't fall into the the Italian categories. But also, we don't know anything about what happens to the killer at the end. He just kind of stands there. So there's no points for that. That's like ten points right off the top. Well, it looks um, like he's going to get arrested. I mean, the cops right there. Well, if he does, he, then he they, he doesn't get any points, because basically okay. you get points for avoiding capture one way or the other. Yeah. Um, whether you whether you are dead or you, whether you accidentally die or whether you killed on purpose, but um, 
there wasn't that many signatures in this one. I only counted three, um, unless you can think of something that I missed and on my way through it. Again, a second time, I'll notice something. I didn't see any J&B bottles. No. Um, I didn't see any like weird clues or any kind of photography or art. Or There was no priest. There was no spiral stairs. Um, there was nothing like, I thought what I saw was this, but once I figured it out or once I ran it through my head, it turned out to be I saw something completely different. There was none of that in this movie. Yeah, uh, there was no bathtub murders, no funerals. Nobody fell to their death. Um, I mean, I guess you could call Gilles a foreigner. Would you call him a foreigner? Give him a. Problem. I don't know. I don't know if because I think it's supposed to be France, right? Yeah, I don't even know where. I don't even know where they were. I thought I heard somebody say Peru at one point. No, it's Perusia or Perusia something. Perusia was the town, right? Yeah. Okay. I thought he said Peru as well. And but she said something about that the the wine and the cheese sandwich was going to be 6 francs. Did she say francs? In the English know. version? I don't know francs sounds that German, 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 right? right? Yeah. But anyway, probably we're probably looking into it way too much as far yeah. as taking those little tiny bits of English dubbed um, dialogue and trying to figure out what was going on and where it was located. But yeah, I mean, so yeah, there's, there's some great outfits in this. There's when she's chopping the chicken with the giant cleaver, <laughs> she has on this amazing um, apron that's front and back. That's like green and brown and yellow swirls. It's just, there's some great, wardrobe choices in this movie for sure yeah yeah yep that's about it and and uh nashy chopping wood with his shirt off don't forget yep. about that and that's how you know he played a werewolf <laughs> you can see it yeah most definitely so yeah i mean again just to get back to this i don't know for the for the folks that are listening to this who have decided that they want to listen to us talk about a film before watching it. I don't know um, how easy this film is to get your hands on. Um, um, Jason just said that Amazon has some copies from third-party vendors that are about 35 bucks. Oh, okay. Because recently, and I didn't go to this because it was just wasn't going to work out from a schedule standpoint, recently there was a triple feature of Spanish horror in Philadelphia, one of them was um, one of the Tombs of the Blind Dead films, and another film, and then this film was the last one. Um, and I was going to go see it, but it was going to end after the train stopped running. So I would have been stuck in Philadelphia um, until, I don't know, uh, five o'clock in the morning waiting for another train to take me home. So I decided not to do that. Um, but it you just. Must it just recently uh, was screened in Philadelphia. So, um, but yeah, I don't know. Like I said, the copy that I have, I don't know what the source is at all. Um, so for people who are trying to find it, um, regrettably, I don't see it um, on YouTube anywhere. Um, so it's, it's going to be a little bit more obscure. Try to find that one. Maybe um, 
from from duping services if there's still duping services out there that one might be something that you could get because it probably falls under that public domain umbrella where it can be uh, transferred without uh, it is so much fun I can't I can't stress it enough it's so much fun I had such a good time with this movie yeah I liked I liked both of them I mean this one I liked better um, partly because it was just so ridiculous, um, but it was easy to follow. The other one was very ridiculous too, but like we both said, I mean, the characters were all over the place. They looked different in every scene. They all had the same name. Yeah. So it was a little bit on the frustrating side, <clears throat> but definitely both of these I'd go back and watch again. So I think the, the ending, the twist, it was just like really smooth. Like yeah. that was just, it was it was a good one. Agreed. So yeah. So, so um, next time, um, which is going to be quite some time from now, but um, the next time we get together, we are going to be joined by Jason, and we're going to be doing. You want to tell him? You want me to tell him? You tell him. We're going to be doing the washing machine. And my bloody Valentine. And from what Chris tells me, um, the correlation here is that there's washing machines in both movies. Yeah, I think so. And you know, obviously, my buddy, my bloody Valentine is a is, a, is an American slasher film, but it's Canadian. one of. Oh, was it Canadian? Oh, okay, sorry, because I know we we. When we did Happy Birthday to Me, people got pissed off because I kept calling it an American slasher, but it was also a Canadian slasher. And I think, what, um, same director maybe did both films, Happy Birthday to Me and... Actually, uh, I don't know if that's true or not. But, um, but yeah, so uh, that'll be a fun one to kind of go through and figure out. The washing machine is just one that has been of legend ever since the show started. So it's going to be fun to clean our clothes in that one. Yeah. Oh, look at you. Separate our whites from our colors. Very nice. And racial. I apologize for that last statement. But yeah, I think that's what it is. I think that there's a washing machine involved in the murdering of the the victims. They find, in, a, they find in, a body in the dryer. In the right, right. Okay. And so every once in a while, we like to do um, films that are not necessarily considered giallo. Um, you know, the films from tonight were considered are considered uh, giallo. Uh, because of their time period. They're a different um, production uh, origin as far as um, country of origin is concerned, but they're still considered jolly. Um, but My Bloody Valentine clearly is an, as a Canadian slasher film from the 80s. But uh, a lot of these films share a lot of similarities with the giallo. And every once in a while, we like to cover films that um, don't fall into the category explicitly, but um, we like to see how... Um, how they stack up and how many things they reference from the classics. Uh, we did that with Happy Birthday to Me and Pieces and Frenzy. And was that it? I think that's those were the three we did. The Bat. And The Bat, right. I always forget about The Bat. 
Um, and there's plenty more. There's uh, De Palma's Dress to Kill is another example of one we'd like to do one day. So we're not anywhere near running out of ideas. And uh, But this one's going to be fun because I mentioned the washing machine, I think, on the first episode. And you and Eric just laughed like, oh, my God, what a ridiculously terrible title for a film. And yeah. uh, it just got a Blu-ray release recently. I think it was maybe Shameless that put it out. So um, we'll be covering that as well as um, the slasher film for next time. And we'll have Jason live with us to talk about these films. Um, so it should be fun. But, yeah, we are going to um, take a couple of extra weeks for this. I'm going to be on vacation in, in two weeks from today. So it's going to be a three-week um, delay from now until our next episode. Uh, but it gives me a, uh, some time to catch up on the website. So I'm glad for that. <laughs> yeah, man, for sure. So um, don't forget to uh, leave us a review and follow us on Twitter and join the group on Facebook. Visit Jaloscore um, and go to jalochowchow.com as well. Um, yeah. All those great things. All those thanks, great things. Thanks to everybody who is listening and continues to listen. And uh, thanks to everybody who's supporting our insanity. Um, and uh, that's it. So, so until next time, everybody, ciao, ciao. Ciao, ciao ish.